reasons that are best kept to myself, I decided that I was going to stay out of this whole Supreme Court domination stuff. As I told Rod on Sunday, not that it's not important, it's just that I don't care. I mean, I do, but I don't. It's hard to explain to people because you get passionate about things and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to consider, reconsider passion, anger, frustration from kind of a different viewpoint of things. But as so often happens, I was peacefully sitting here minding my own business when an article floated across my screen that caught my attention and made me, well, have to have something to say about it. Amy Coney Barrett, the president's Supreme Court nominee, who I get it. Some of you think shouldn't be heard. Some of you think she should be heard. Some of you think this isn't fair. Some of you think this is outrageous, whatever. All of that is irrelevant to me because, again, I'm an originalist and I believe in the process. At the time, I said, I don't think the Republicans were doing the right thing, but it was within the rules. The process has to be respected. Same is true here. That said, Amy Coney Barrett was accused of being an originalist by a New York Times editorial, an op-ed that essentially said that she's an originalist, originalists are bad, originalists are people who believe that well, slavery was good and should be brought back. Uh, all originalists are, uh, are religious fundamentalists, and therefore, Miss Barrett being put on the Mrs. Barrett, sorry, being put on the Supreme Court would be akin to a return to the Dark Ages. I believe it was Joe Biden that once said that his opponent, the the Republicans, want to put you back in chains if you happen to be uh, African American. Obviously, this is hyperbole. Obviously, this is outrageous. Obviously, this is nonsensical. But the problem with it is, is that too many people believe it. And the question you have to ask yourself is, why do they believe it? Why do they accept that? And of course, the the underlying answer is, nobody knows anything. We we just we use words, we use phrases, we use accusations, j'accuse without any reference, without any context to them at all. New York Times accuses Amy Coney Barrett of being an originalist. Well, I've said for years I'm an originalist. Am I a religious zealot? Am I someone who wants to return to slavery? Am I, have I ever said anything to you that would indicate to you that I don't believe that the Reconstruction Amendments matter? I've had questions about some of the impacts of the 14th Amendment and incorporation, not citizenship. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I think I've pretty clearly been on the record that if you're born here, you're a citizen. If you don't like that, repeal the 14th Amendment. That's what it says. And the whole argument that, well, that's not what they really mean, doesn't hold water because it is what they meant. Well, I'm an originalist. Does that make me that person? But does accusing Amy Coney Barrett of being an, religious, an originalist make her that? Because she's Roman Catholic, you know. She's, well, that. The, the primary thrust of the article was that originalists hate 
the 14th, 15th, and 16th Amendments, that we ignore them in the context of history and that we do not accept them, which is amazing to me because and we just went through this in Constitution Thursday last summer. It is, in fact, Democrats who hate the Reconstruction Amendments, particularly and especially the 15th Amendment. Carter Glass was the Secretary of Treasury under Woodrow Wilson, who once said this of the 1902 Virginia Convention, quote, with a view to the elimination of every Negro voter who can be gotten rid of legally without materially imperiling the numerical strength of the white electorate, unquote. He went on to become a senator from Virginia. His newspapers into the 1960s refused to print photographs of African-American citizens and even report on their sporting events. And this is the Democrat Party. We've talked about this from the 1870s. The Democrat Party, if we're going to talk about history, folks, and who's really ignoring these amendments, Carter Glass actually said the 15th Amendment was an affront to white Americans and that it should have never been passed. You don't see... You don't see that in that New York that New York Times op-ed, do you? You make accusations of ignoring history to confuse people. Because if I accuse someone of ignoring history, you assume from my language, I must know history. I must understand it. I must know what I'm talking about. And this, of course, has become what settles for discourse in our era of instant media. I say something, so... You assume that I know what I'm talking about. You never bother to look and see. The New York Times op-ed accuses Amy Coney Barrett and others of, of us originalists of ignoring the 14th, 15th Amendments. 16th Amendments, but of, well, the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th is income tax, sorry. Um, the Reconstruction Amendments. And yet at the same time, what evidence do they present that we've ignored those? What evidence do they present that we don't actually support those. I, I think I've been on record as, I mean, I'm not in favor of slavery. My family fought for the Union. My Southern family fought for the Union. So you're going to have to come up with something better than that to say originalists ignore history. In fact, it's really kind of the opposite, isn't it? It's, it's originalists actually pay attention to the history that the New York Times ignores in accusing the originalist of ignoring history. The Democrat Party, led by men like Carter Glass, were clear, clearly anti, anti-black America, and yet they get a pass. Why is that, you might be asking? In this era, as I said, of instant media, it, it's almost like the, the famous quote. I first heard the quote from Admiral Halsey, pretty sure I heard it read it. I didn't hear it. I wasn't there then. But, uh, but it turns out that it actually comes from a guy by the name of Nathan Bedford Forrest, who said, get there first with the most. Now, the idea here is you get there first with the most, you're going to win whatever fight you're in. Now, he was obviously referring to cavalry battles. He was a Confederate cavalry general. And he was referring to the idea that you got to get there, you got to hit hard, hit fast, and, and, and don't worry about anything else. Which, of course is in this era of instant media and instant discourse is exactly what's happening. The more attacks you can make, substantiated or not, irrelevant, 
the more likely you are to succeed, even if your accusations are incorrect. Well, isn't it odd, though, that the man who came up with that theory, the man who came up with that maxim, turned out to be not just a Confederate general, but a pretty hardcore white nationalist racist who also helped found the KKK and helped lead the KKK for many years. Hmm. Why would you use his tactics? Shouldn't they be discredited at this point? One might ask. One might ask. You won't get an answer. Originalism is also accused in ignoring history of being religious, religiously fundamentalist. Amy Coney Barrett is upheld because of her Catholic faith, um, which is weird to me because, again, she actually practices her Catholic faith, apparently, as opposed to other politicians we could name. Nancy <laughs> Pelosi who claim to be Roman Catholic, but clearly ignore their faith and the tenets of that faith. So as long as you ignore the tenets of your faith, then you're not a fundamentalist. But if for some reason you do believe the tenets of your faith, now you're a fundamentalist and an originalist who ignores history. Which is bizarre to me, of course, because as I mentioned on several occasions over the last few weeks, I've been doing a lot of, a lot of reading on some of this stuff. Pythagoras, the guy that came up with A squared plus B squared equals C squared, is really the foundational moment in history. It was, a, it was a pivotal moment in history. I don't think you understand, some of you might not understand, how pivotal that moment was in, in ancient Ionia. You had a, a philosophy of, of wonder, a philosophy of science, a philosophy of asking questions. And you had a philosophy of mysticism and explanations by gods and the likes of that. And you would think that someone like Pythagoras would come down on the scientific side, but he saw in his own theorem, and his followers saw in his theorem, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, a certain linear progression that they believed proved the concept of the gods. And his religion ended up being embodied with, uh, with, 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 the, with the ideology of fundamentalism. And it was this same fundamentalism that lasted well into the, the Renaissance, well into the scientific enlightenment, the 1700s. His religion was embodied in a religious order, which here and there acquired control of the state and established the rule of the saints. Sure, he came up with the idea of A squared plus B squared equals C squared, which is a scientific fundamentalism in a way, but he used that in a way that, that squashed the idea of questioning and, and advancing and studying and, and interpreting things in a way that was very rigid and a very, in a way that did not allow for questioning. And when you get into history of the, the Reconstruction Amendments, which party is it that wouldn't allow any questioning of things? Which party was it that wouldn't say, hmm, hey, <laughs> you know, all men are equal? Which party is that? Carter Glass, Woodrow Wilson, uh, Robert Byrd, and a few others. What is, then, originalism? What does it actually mean? Originalism is generally, and I'm going to say very generally, portrayed as interpreting the document as it meant was meant when it was written. Now, that has been slurred into... Originalists want slavery to come back. 
originalists want this. Original, originalists don't pay any attention to the amendments. They don't care about any of that, which is completely ridiculous. We look at the document as a document that can be modified. It says right in there, I can be changed. The difference between originalists and, I would guess, uh, loose constructionists, if you will, is that we believe that you follow the process. The process is Congress passes an amendment by two-thirds of the House. The president signs it. They send it to the states to get three-fourths to ratify it. If you can't get three-fourths to ratify it, too bad. Or you hold a convention of the states, which, again, has never been successfully done. It's been tried a few times, and I know there's a lot of people that think, well, we're going to do it again. Um, I don't personally think it'll work, and I've, I've said that on many occasions. This is why elections have consequences. You send people to Congress who are going to carry out your will. And if it's the national will, as expressed through our representatives, two-thirds of them signed by the president, ratified by three-quarters of the states, well, then so shall it be written, so shall it be done. That's the process that we follow. Isn't it odd that California, generally considered one of the most liberal states in the country, did not ratify the 14th Amendment until 1950, long after it had become not just a part of our Constitution by states that are fundamentalist and originalist, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it became incorporated. History is change. Fundamental originalists, not fundamentalists, originalists recognize this. We recognize that change not only is important, but it's necessary. But it must be done by an authentic and explicit act of the people, not just by some law being passed by a few people from one state. That's not how this works. Rules are rules. By being accused of ignoring history by those who ignore history, it just confuses the whole matter. And the problem you run into, of course, is that something like this New York Times editorial will be far more red than I'll ever be, be far more red than anything Amy Coney Barrett has ever said. People will read it and go, here it is. And as Alexander Pope once said, oral kalami, kalami is tardy, feeble, and circumscribed. But give her paper wings, and like a bird, she cleaves to the clouds and flies from province to province, from kingdom to kingdom, gives free circulation to, and, to imposition. In solitary pamphlet, as the poet Poe says of a love letter, can waft a lie from Endus to the pole. In other words, a lie can travel the world before truth even has its shoes on. The New York Times editorial is, and I will say this with great passion, complete and total nonsense. It's crap. But Will there ever be a retraction? Will there ever be a correction to it? Will there ever be anybody to say, it's an opinion, Dave, don't you get it? It's an opinion. Is it an opinion? It's in the New York Times. It's being presented as fact. But it is, in fact, a lie. Originalists are not fundamentalists. We do not believe that slavery should be come back, should make a comeback. We don't believe that. In fact, history tells me that the very people who are saying that, it, that that's what we mean are the people who did mean that once upon a time. There won't be any retractions. There won't be any corrections. I like to be guided by the Proverbs. 
The first to present his case seems right till the other party examines him. And this is the problem with op-eds and newspapers. There's almost never any other party examination. There's almost no one who will step forward and say, can we consider this? Can we, here's, here's a counter proposal to what you have to say. That almost never happens. It does on rare occasions. And there are very few newspapers that are introspective enough to say to themselves, we should present both sides of the case. In fact, as I said on Friday, we're going to be looking at some of this media stuff. And I asked the question on Friday, and hopefully you've had a chance to see that short video over the weekend and answer that question. What's wrong with the media? And many people think that it's become one-sided. It's become focal. But do you understand why it's become that way? I know we all think we do, but do we really? And like Pythagoras and the Ionian scientists, there was a pivotal moment in history when we could have gone with science and instead we went with mysticism and A squared plus B squared equals C squared, proving it. And just like that, there was a pivotal moment in our own history when we could have gone, when our media could have gone one of two ways. And it chose the way that it's done. My favorite writer, my favorite, my friend, I call him my friend, Millsurp writer, Mike. He's going to kill me for putting his picture up there. He likes to do videos, which are just Mike driving and philosophizing. They're, they're, they're really good. And they're interesting. He did one over the weekend that he said a couple of things that I think really apply to this. He said, we live in an economy of fear. We live in an economy in which fear is profitable. We live in an economy where having people afraid of something is more beneficial than having them not be afraid of something. Whether it's COVID, whether it's Amy Coney Barrett, whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, whether it's Harris, whether it's Pence, whether it's this law or that law, it doesn't matter. We're so busy being afraid of everything and getting ourselves riled up over being afraid of it that we're not thinking about any things. And as Mike said, fear is unfocused anger. There's nothing really wrong with being anger, angry if you understand what you're doing with it. But fear is just unfocused anger. It's just anger that says, <laughs> I'm just mad about something. I haven't thought about it, like the New York Times. I haven't considered it. I haven't made myself in my, in my own mind understand it. I'm just afraid of it because... <clears throat> But if you were to ask yourself, why are you angry that people want to follow the process? Why would you be angry that people want to follow the rules? You know, that constitution thingy with all its 27 amendments. Why, why would you be angry about that? Well, you would be angry about it because you want instant gratification and you want an economy of fear. If we don't, if we, if, if, if we allow them to follow the constitution, they're going to bust up marriages. Did you know that? They're going to tell gay people that they can't get married. Do you, do you honestly believe that? As we've talked about before, I don't personally believe the Supreme Court will ever overturn Roe v. Wade. But even if they did, it still goes back to the states. Your state can pass a law making abortion legal all you want. Then, what is it, seven states have already done that? So that trigger laws if Roe v. Wade is overturned? Follow the process, folks. If you are angry about other people who want to follow the process, simply accuse them of not following the process, which is what they've done with Amy Coney Barrett. Ignore history. Because at the end of the day, the ends still justify the means, don't they? At the end of the day, 
Then justifies means only when the means used are such as actually bring about the desired and desirable end. So if we attack originalism for being, you know, bad, and we succeed in destroying the idea that we need to follow the rules, those ends justify the means, don't they? And the economy of fear can then continue to grow. Thank you.